Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, brought to you by Modelo, a proud sponsor of the Raiders and the official beer of fans with the fighting spirit. It's time for JT The Brick. I love my job. I love the opportunity that I can come in here and talk to the Raider Nation. Talk to JT. As we are rolling on on the biggest topic in the NFL. This is nothing to dive into and look crazy about. Have we lost our bleeping mind? Look, the elephant in the room is the majority of our audience are Raider fans. And they would like the Raiders to win now. They don't want to rebuild. They don't care about two or three years. The last 20 plus years have been hard and they're sick of it. Excuses die. The record stands. JT the Brick. Are you kidding me? It's an absolute free-for-all with the Raiders on national radio debate shows. Everybody now is throwing blank up against the wall. No, no, no. Who are you listening to? Who, who's putting this in your head? But what happens next is what should this team do that's responsible, not reckless, makes sense, and could kind of thread the needle and get this team back to greatness. Are you with me on that? Put some respect on JT the Brick's name. And now, sound off like you got a pair. Here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two, Raider Nation Radio. JT, and on that Raiders mobile app, all you got to do is download the Raiders mobile app for free and keep it right there. You can just hit the radio icon in the upper right-hand corner or listen at lvsportsnetwork.com. Quick announcement tomorrow, right in this time slot, noon to two, we'll be live from the Palms, courtesy of Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. We're going to do... A really cool two-hour remote. I usually don't do that on Fridays unless we have something really fun, and we do. Remy Quantro with the Remy Quantro Margaritas. They're doing more activations. Cinco de Mayo, as we call it, Cinco de Drinko. Everybody, come on out, drink responsibly, drive responsibly, come on out with me and have a margarita, courtesy of Remy Martin Quantro. Excited for that. Uh, we have a couple of guests this hour. If you want to get through, the best time to do it is now. Open lines for you on the Raiders draft and the Golden Knights winning last night, 702-365-9200. Coming up here in a little bit, Las Vegas Metro Police Union president's going to come on and join us, Steve Grammis, and we're going to talk about what's happening with the police versus fire tackle football game at Bishop Gorman May 6th at 6 p.m. That's a big deal, and they're going to raise a lot of money here, and we hope you could come out there. If you haven't been to Bishop Gorman, I'm sure you have to see a high school football game. It's incredible, and uh, this is going to be really special. So come on out, and I don't know who we're going to root for. I think I've, I got a guest on the police side, so I'll, I'll go cops versus firemen, but I love the firemen and the cops. So looking forward to stopping by and seeing that. And then Connor Fields is going to join us at the bottom of the hour, Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame, one of the Hall of Fame inductees coming in. The BMX legend is going to join us. Everybody should know his story. He won a gold medal in the Olympics with BMX, and then as he was defending his title, had a massive accident that could have killed him. And his impact globally with this sport is really important. So he's going to join us at the bottom of the hour. And again, if you want to hit on the Golden Knights game last night, I think it's important. It's an instant classic. It was an instant classic. It was on ESPN. So the whole country saw it. And I think the whole country is watching the Golden Knights saying, whoa, man, they look good. I don't get a chance to watch them a lot. I live in Jersey. I live in Detroit. I live in Memphis. I, I don't watch the Golden Knights every night. And the power push of Vegas last night up against uh, Dreisaitl and McDavid was pretty impressive here. So I was pumped up to watch the game. I went back and watched the third period again today just with coffee in the morning going, hey, I got nothing to do till noon. I'm going to watch the third period again. And I watched it, and it was incredible. It was that good. 
Is it one of the top, and Magnum's in for Bobby today, is it one of the top Golden Knight games of all time? I like to do that Mount Rushmore. Obviously, our initial year going to the finals, but losing four games to one. All the other playoff years, except last year, considering the star power from Edmonton and the importance of this game, where do you rank it all time? Well, I think it's certainly in the discussion for, yeah. for, for best ever. I mean, I think nothing will ever top that first game at T-Mobile Arena. Sure. They, they came out. Derek England gave that great speech about 1 October. Uh, there was a playoff game in year one where they beat the L.A. Kings in double overtime. It was, I think, a 2-1 to one game. That was incredible. If you're an old-school hockey fan, you got to love a 2-1 to one game, especially double overtime in the playoffs. But this is up there. I mean, it's one of the – first of all, they, it's probably the best full 60 minutes they've played all season. So you got to mm. love that. But beating Dreisaitl, who scores four goals in one game, and beating the Oilers when you have a guy who does something as incredible as that, like most nights, you score four goals, you win the game. Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. You're in the locker room after the game. Was was Were they drained? Were they shot? Were they excited, celebratory? Usually hockey players are composed after a game. They're taking off dripping wet jerseys and their shoulder pads, and they're just you know taking all the tape off. What was it like? It was very relaxed. Was it okay? It was. I think. I think for these guys, it's 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 business as usual. Mm-hmm. Our job is to go out and win hockey games, and I think that's how they took it. Right? It was a it was a day at work for them. They they're they're going to go home. They relax. Maybe they watch a little television. Spend time with their wives. Go to bed today, get up, last night, done, over. And they got the day off today. That's great to see. All right, really proud of the interview we had, and I want to thank Dave Ziegler. He gave us 30 minutes, 30 minutes as we kicked off this week on Raider Nation Radio, my conversation with him. And he would have stayed for 40 or 50 minutes if we didn't have this radio clock that we have to kind of keep an eye on. But it's up there at Raiders.com. And I just wanted to play back a couple of the answers that I thought were most important as he looked back on the draft as a GM's second year, but really his first year to do it with all picks in the first, second round and going on. Here's what he had to say. Um, well, the, the call part, I mean, it's just it's, – um, it's an emotional part of the weekend just because you know how someone's life has been impacted of, you know, you're getting to tell someone um, something that they've been working their whole life for. And it's a dream for them and it's a dream for their family. And it's, it's a, I mean, it's a ridiculously rare accomplishment to get drafted by an NFL team when you step back and you think about it. And so those calls are really special. They're really fun. Um, and then it's exciting. It's a, it's a rewarding part of the weekend. Um, stepping back is um, there's a lot of excitement. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, encouraging things that we see with the draft class that we put together. And then there's also some reflection on some things that, you know, you would do differently, um, from a strategic standpoint. And, you know, you, you always, you always, I always like to go back and, you know, um, be hard on ourselves. And, and, you know, there's a couple things I've learned here and there that, you know, we'll, I'll apply differently next year. And, and, um, that's a part of the process too. And so, um, but we're really excited about this class. Um, it was a fun weekend. It was a whirlwind. And, um, you know, I think we improved the team. They did improve the team. I don't know one Raider fan who didn't think this team is vastly improved. And it's, it's supposed to be like that every year. Talking to Dave when the interview was done and what he might do differently or not, I'm going to keep that close to the vest because he said this to me privately, but he felt really good about what they did. He, he loves these scouts. There's a lot of leadership moments for him in that room where he had to listen to his scouts when they had to decide between a player or not. 
That's important because you've got to be a leader to do that. You have to be a guy saying, look, my ego is not getting in the way with this. Convince me on why we're getting that guy. And I thought that had a lot to do with the pivot of this draft and what they were able to do. Uh, The game plan overall, they had a game plan coming in on the players that they wanted to replace others. Here's what the GM said. Yeah, I think it's, you know, um, just like you when you're in school and you're preparing for a test, you know, if you're not very prepared, there's a lot more anxiety and angst. Um, going into you know going into taking that test and so I felt like with uh, the group that we had put together and having a full year Brandon Jurgen is our college director Champ Kelly obviously our assistant GM heavily involved um, and the other group of guys that we've that we've put together our national scouts Dewan Daniels Andy Dangler um, Sean Harak um, Lenny McGill like we just have a lot of experience we put a lot of work in we put a lot of time and effort into this from the fall all the way up until uh, Thursday and so we felt prepared and that preparation came across as I'd say an environment that was calm cool and collective on on game day if you will yeah and I brought that up a lot to him and I think Raider fans who are listening and listen on the podcast or listen live whatever it is when you see Dave Ziegler he's very calm He's very calm, and there's a lot of chaos in a war room, or chaos can ensue, and he's a guy who's in charge. Mark Davis is in the room. There are a lot of scouts. The head coach is there, and you need some guy like that with that demeanor, that heart rate, that can go through this and make the right decisions. they got a really good scouting department from what I hear. Is it better than scouting departments in the past? I don't know. I, I think John Gruden and Mike Mayock and Reggie McKenzie – had good ones in the past. Lane Kiffin, if it was Norv Turner, I worked with all of them. And uh, this one seems to be fitting to what they want to do. Some call it the Patriot way, the Patriots West. The hell with that. It's about running a war room and getting the best players available. And I think he convinced a lot of people he did that. You know, the quarterback in the first round, which was interesting, I was thrilled they didn't do that. And they might have went up to the first pick. Remember, they kicked the tires uh, before Carolina traded up with Chicago. The Raiders did also. I think they were interested in a quarterback early, but it didn't play out that way. Yeah, just through the process, uh, you know, all the way starting, um, you know, at the combine. And then obviously we did a lot of visits um, during the pro day visits and spent time with a lot of people and had guys here for the 30 visits. And there were some other, you know, meetings that we had with, you know, with that group. And ultimately, um, you know, we just felt like um, based on the pool of players, the quarterbacks that were available in our current situation Mm -hmm. here, um, you know, that we felt comfortable with where we where we were at with Jimmy and, and um, you know, with uh, Brian here as the backup and just didn't feel like at that point of the draft that, um, you know, one of those one of those other non-defensive players was the best fit for us. Well, that's an important soundbite. That's one I made sure that we circled here, because if they took a quarterback early, the, the new quarterback would have been the face of the franchise and Jimmy Garoppolo would have been in the building like, OK, <laughs> I get it. I'm going to play my ass off for you, but I'm not going to be here. And can you imagine the Raider fans screaming down from the upper deck, wanting Jimmy G if he threw a pick out of the game because you got someone who's picked third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh there. I thought that was composure. No need for the quarterback now. Next year's quarterback class is just as good, if not better, early on if the Raiders had to go down that road and wanted to give up the draft to do that. I'm happy they didn't go quarterback early. We got that right. And a lot of NFL media nationally guessed wrong. Okay, let's make that clear. There's a lot of mock drafts that had the Raiders taking Will Levis or Richardson first by moving up to get him. They weren't able to do that. They did not do that, and I think that was smart. Now, Mayor of the tight end, that's what fascinated me. 
because I didn't know if they were going to be able to get him, but I thought he'd be gone in the first round. When I mocked it out on my own with my sons, I had Mayer gone, the tight end out of Notre Dame early. Dave Ziegler went to bed that night knowing they could jump back in and get him. I was surprised that yeah. he was still available. I thought Michael was, um, him and Dalton were the, the top two tight ends in the draft, and I did think they would uh, pr- most likely go in the first round. And so, um, yeah, there was some excitement on our end once we got through the first round. And um, as, as you know, we mentioned the Peter King article, we ex- Peter King article, we explored some opportunities to move back up at the end of the first round, and that didn't materialize. And so, yeah, we, we um, came back in on Friday morning and started to look at, okay, here's who's available, um, and started to explain, um, explore some trade opportunities to move up. And to get a player like, like Michael Mayer, um, a person like Michael Mayer, the leadership, the passion for football, and then just his skill set on the football field, which I think is unique. He has, um, for a bigger tight end, he has a unique set of um, – short area explosiveness, short area quickness, where you can see him separate, you can see him uh, make some guys look silly at the college level that were defensive backs, not just linebackers and things like that. So we were really excited that he was available um, at that time, and we were aggressive to go up and get him. So if you read the Peter King column or you listened on Raider Nation Radio when he joined the morning tailgate, they were looking to trade up with Kansas City, and Kansas City was asking for something ridiculous. So they had to know that they were going to come back the next day and move up to get closer because Joey Porter Jr. was there, right? Everybody wanted to see if he would be a Raider at cornerback. That would have been pretty good. But the tight end is a better player than Joey Porter Jr. on paper. So they, I think they got the best player clearly in the second round. Can you give him credit for getting the best player in the second round on paper? Now, we'll see what happens three or four years from now. But I love the fact that he did that because if they would have waited – and Mayer was gone, and Porter Jr. was gone, and then the Raiders just sat there to take another player. It could have changed. It could have been a, it could have been a right tackle. It could have been a right guard. It could have been something else. But they got Mayer, who should instantly jump in and become another offensive lineman in the blocking game and a great pass catcher. And with George Kittle, I went back and looked at a lot of Jimmy Garoppolo YouTube from last year and what's posted, and I got a buddy who works for the Niners to talk about this, and... What's fascinating about George Kittle is a lot of times George Kittle gets open, not deep. He gets open short, right? So follow me here. He gets open short, five, six, seven yards, and then he makes a move and he's gone. Do you know why he's gone? Because all the other defenders are guarding Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, and they have their back turned to the tight end. They don't even know where the tight end is. So Kittle catches a ball on his own 30, No one's looking at him. They're guarding their own man. All of a sudden, Kittle's coming at him like a freight train, and Kittle makes a head fake, and he's up for 40 yards. That's what this kid has to turn out to be. Jimmy G has got to get him the Kittle playbook along with Josh McDaniel's playbook and find this kid a comfort zone where Jimmy can find him for some big plays because Waller Waller was a great explosive deep down the field tight end. We'll be interesting to see if we can find it in this young man. All right, just a couple of more. Dave Ziegler exclusively with me earlier in the week on the biggest topic of all. The biggest topic of all is the position versatility. Uh, if you're going to come here, you got to be versatile. you got to play multiple positions in some cases as a corner, as an offensive lineman. Here's what Dave had to say. Position versatility 
is uh, for a few different reasons is really important to us. Mm -hmm. One, a guy that can line up and impact the game at different spots. Um, it makes it harder for offenses to prepare for a defense when you have guys that are moving around and they have to try to sure. locate them and they try to have to, you know, form their plan around some educated guesses or where players are going to be. And so having guys that can do that um, is important. The second part of that, whether it be the offensive line, whether it be a receiver, running back, whatever, whatever you whatever you call it, whatever position, um, their ability to play more than one spot throughout the course of a 17-game season um, is really important because we know injuries are going to happen. We know there's going to be nicks. Um, we know that there's going to be times where guys are going to have to step in into a new role. And for, to have guys that have experience doing that and aren't learning it for the first time, um, we think is a, a really key element of team building. That to me, everybody, that soundbite, which we're not going to delete, we're not going to delete, we're going to save that, I think is the big one going forward, and it's going to take a while for me to get used to it, as I said, because I didn't grow up in an era with versatile players playing multiple positions, but that's going to happen. And he's got guys got to come in and do more than their basic job. If they're able to do that, then I think this team's going to be much better because then Josh McDaniels will call on the offensive players to do more because he's going to see him perform and say, wow, I could line you up at slot outside. I can put you here and there, and you're proving – you're proving to me that you can do it. And the same thing with Patrick Graham. If you want your ass on the field and you want to stay there a little bit longer and get five to ten more snaps, I'm going to put you in a versatile situation. I'm going to ask you to cover or do this or rush the quarterback. If you can do it, you're going to get more snaps, especially at the defensive tackle position where you got some run blockers, uh, run stoppers, and some guys who can get to the quarterback, and they're going to have to earn their time there. And then finally the big one, which I came up with right at the moment. I wanted to ask him about his friendship with Josh McDaniels, the relationship they had, because I believe the head coach deserves more respect from the fan base. I've said that from day one. I know the fans who are aggravated. I'm aware of it. And I asked him this question as I was wrapping up. I figured I could sneak one more question in with Dave Ziegler. Here's what he said. Yeah, great man and great person. And he's a, he's a you know, whatever the narrative is out there, the reality is this. These guys love playing for Josh McDaniels. Um, guys want to play for the Las Vegas Raiders. So anything that's, you know, the, these players don't want to come or this than that, or I've seen a little bit of that um, narrative out there, um, that's 100% false. Um, Josh is a great leader. Um, he has an open door, um, to an open, you know, open window with all these players. And he has a great relationship with this group. And that's why you saw the last past season when um, there was a couple ruts in the season where we lost three in a row. Um, I don't think we saw anything out there in the media of, you know, the strife in the locker room or, you know, um, issues here or a team that gave up at the end of the season. That goes directly back to Josh McDaniels and his leadership, the relationships that he creates with these players, um, the way that he treats these players, uh, the way that he treats the staff and everybody in the building. Um, he's, he's one of the highest quality leaders that I've been around. He's one of the smartest football minds. Everybody knows that offensively that I've been around. Um, but that whole, the whole narrative of, um, you know, there, there's an ego involved or, um, again, it's his way or the highway and, and things of that nature. They're just, they're just false narratives. That's not how we operate here. That's not how he operates. And um, just a great, uh, a great man, a great friend, and a very smart football guy. And there isn't anybody I'd rather be doing this with than Josh McDaniels. Um, because of how qualified he is as a coach and how qualified he is as a leader. Wow. You've, you've never heard that. You've never heard that anywhere. 
You haven't heard that in Vegas, I can promise you that. And that's an important reaction point for me, just asking the question on, you didn't hear me say that because I'm not a coach. I didn't grow up with him. I didn't play college football with him. And that's, that came from Dave Ziegler. And that came from Dave Ziegler without me teeing him up and me telling him, hey, I'm asking you this question on coach and be ready for it. Now, he was ready for that because they're friends. You know, I got a best friend. I got several best friends. Grew up with in my wedding party, guys that I went with. I speak that highly of my best friends, and that's how Dave speaks of this head coach. So I'm not looking to change your mind. But then again, I'm just looking for some people to show a little bit more respect on this flagship station, and maybe that helps a couple of fans say, yeah, you know, I'm going to give the coach I'm going to give the coach more of my respect going into the season. We'll see how that plays out. I'm excited. The police versus fire. Tackle football at Bishop Gorman, May 6, 6 p.m. at a football field that is just great for sight and vision and to have a great time. The president of the Las Vegas Metro Police Union, Steve Grammis, joins us. Steve, thanks so much for doing this. We're excited to talk to you. How are you today? Uh, wonderful. I appreciate you giving me the time to come on and talk about this great event. Well, I love the police and I love the firemen, and this is amazing. I grew up in New York, and as you know, they play that unbelievable game at MetLife Stadium. And after 9-11, the fallen firemen and police officers, they put documentaries out on this. This is a little bit different, but locally, I think a lot of people in the community support not only Metro, the firemen, and could come together for this. Talk about the success in the past and what we should expect uh, coming up to this game. Yeah, you know, this uh, this game, we kind of brought it back last year. It was uh, started back in 1974. The last one they played was in 83, and then it took a, a giant hiatus. Uh, last year, I wanted to jumpstart some uh, fundraising for our charities, our charity in particular, the Law Enforcement Assistance Fund. Uh, it pays for college, room, board, food, books, tuition for officers killed in the line of duty, as well as birthday presents, Christmas presents, wedding gifts, graduation, everything. We stay involved in their lives with our charity. So looking at, uh, I have a background in football. I played since I was five years old. Uh, I wanted to bring this game back. So last year it was a success. This year it's going to be an even greater success. Bishop Gorman has been amazing to us. They've rolled out the red carpet. It is going to be, no offense to the Raiders, the biggest football game in 2023, hands down. I love it. Steve Grammis is our guest. I want to get back to the fallen officers and their families. Whenever we see a tragedy in our community or anywhere around this country, when an officer's life is taken, especially on the job, I always think of the wife, the partner, the kids. Uh, let's add a little bit more to that. You've experienced this up close when you have to go into a home and see a young boy or girl that lost their mom or dad. What is that like up close and knowing you could do something to help others? You know, it, it's it's one of the most gut-wrenching things. Me as a father of four daughters, uh, I couldn't imagine them having to have that uh, conversation with someone from our department that uh, I'm no longer here. But um, they do recognize that their uh, their parent gave the ultimate sacrifice and protection of others. And so uh, while it doesn't take the pain away, uh, it does ease it as they move forward. And this is also part of that easing process. They've lost a source of income. They've lost a body in that household. And people need to step up, and that's where we step in. And uh, with this event, reaching out to the community partner saying, please help us raise funds for this event, come out and support this event, uh, the kids and the families left behind see it and they feel the love from their community. 
Uh, we're talking to Steve Grammis, kind enough to join us, the president of the Las Vegas Metro Police Union. Uh, the game's coming up here May 6th at Bishop Gorman at 6 p.m. So tell me about the rivalry here. A lot of guys, I'm sure, from the community maybe played high school there, but you also have officers from outside the community that played when they were growing up. How much practice, how many scrimmages, how fired up is everyone after a practice knowing the game's coming up? Listen, it's a, it's like any football season. Uh, the, the first time you're out there for the first part of conditioning, you don't like it so much. But as you get closer to that game, uh, the, those old juices start to flow. That competitive side starts to come out. Uh, last night we had the firemen and our police officers together for a joint meal. And you could feel it, that, that tension, even though we're all brothers and sisters as first responders, you could feel that tension of, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to put one on you. And uh, afterwards, we can shake hands and be friends. But when it's going, uh, it's on. This is a real live game and with real tackling, real hitting. And uh, it's some of these guys, you know, they're so grateful that they had to hang the pads up long ago. Yeah. And the fact that they can put them back on and play a game that they thought they were done forever playing – uh, they're just like kids again with smiles from ear to ear. You know, Steve, we have a mutual friend in Teo Johnson, former tight end for the Raiders, great Stanford basketball player. He's become a good friend of mine. His passion when he brought you to me and said he's involved with this, wants to help out. I just love that. A former Raider that is so involved in the community and the Raider alumni respect him so much. He does so much for the Raiders in town. When he asked me to get you on the radio to talk about this, I'm thrilled because I want to be involved with more events like this in the community with the firefighters and the police officers. And I, knew you, I know you do so much more, but let's just focus on how to get people out for the game, how to get them tickets, just to show up at Bishop Gorman, to park and to get into that beautiful stadium and watch some real competitive football. So we had a, a generous corporate sponsor come through and buy about a thousand tickets and said, listen, all I want is for you to give them out to the community. So general membership tickets right now are covered. They're totally free. If you come out to the game and you want to come watch it, you're in for free. Don't worry about a ticket. Uh, now that said, we have some different levels though. We have mm-hmm. a $50 field access pass that before the game, during warmups, you'll be able to be on the field with the players, shaking hands, taking pictures, uh, we also have a VIP ticket, which is $150. It is an open bar. Harlow Steakhouse is catering the VIP wow. area. There's some, hopefully, Raider alumni. Teo will be there. Richie Incognito will be there. Uh, we have a few other uh, hopefuls that we think are going to come through. Um, uh, Pink Box Donuts is going to do it's. It's just going to be amazing. We also, thank goodness to our community partners, the Raiders donated a signed Josh Jacobs jersey nice. for us to raffle for free at that VIP. Uh, UNLV basketball signed by Coach Kruger. UNLV football signed by Coach Odom. VGK signed jersey. Uh, we've got a lot of free raffle things for that VIP area. So uh, that is the ticket to get. If you can get a VIP ticket and they're starting to run out, um, 50-yard line seats dedicated to the VIP or hang out in that beautiful balcony at the uh, ATC on the south end zone of Bishop Gorman. It's going to be amazing. Tailgate opens at 3 o'clock. High school wow. here in town, we can't tailgate. But Bishop Gorman's a private school. So they said, hey, they want to come out and have a couple of beers and enjoy their time. Tailgating's open at 3. We're going to have food trucks. We're going to have T-shirts for sale. It's going to be an amazing event, uh, something that we've never put together before, and it's going to continue far into the future. Hey, Steve, lastly, tell me what it's like to be a police officer, what it means to you to represent the community, to wear the badge and the brotherhood. Tell me a little bit about that as we wrap it up. You know, it's a, uh, it's a family lineage. My father was a police officer in New York. I was born in New York, um, and he came out here to Vegas and became a police officer here. 
my brother was a police officer, retired. My brother-in-law is a retired sergeant. My wife is a retired dispatcher. My brother's wife is the head of the CSI program. Um, I've been doing this job for almost 25 years. Uh, there is no better service to our community, to whatever you believe in, than going out and helping others. And folks that are victimized, bringing some closure to a case for them as well. And it has been the honor of my life not only to represent my officers, but to serve my community in the way that I have. Wow. Just wow. Proud that we can help out here. It's going to be tremendous. I look forward to being involved more and more in the future. Whatever I can do to help out the Las Vegas Metro Police Union, you please call on me again. We'd love to help. Great luck. Great luck winning. I'm, I'm you know, I have to figure out, I'm, I'm going to be neutral here, Steve, on the radio, because the firemen who are listening want to be a part of this too. But thank you for coming in and representing everyone here. It's going to be a great night. JT, appreciate you. Have a great day. Hope to see you out at the game. No doubt about it. You'll see me there. You got it. I'm definitely going to come by for the tailgate. I'm going to the Golden Knights that night. I am definitely going and uh, maybe have my bucket of Modelo out there and get my Uber. Maybe my Uber will pull over on the way there so I can go support the police officers. Hey, when we come back, Hall of Famer, Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame, Connor Fields. You should know the name. Graduate here at Green Valley High School and an icon. In BMX Racing, he'll go in with the new class, and I'm honored to MC that night. He's going to join us. We have him on hold. We'll have him on the other side. And, again, please go out to this great firefighter, police officer football game, May 6th. Bishop Gorman, please support this event in our community. Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, brought to you by Resorts World Las Vegas, the newest property on the Strip. JT, back with you as we continue on a busy day today. Vegas Golden Knights coming off a win. Raiders coming off the draft. Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. Connor Fields, kind enough to join us. The newest member of this proud Hall of Fame. Connor, I'm thrilled to talk to you. Congratulations. How did it feel when you got the word that you were going into this Hall of Fame? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, i got to be honest, it, it was a little bit of a surprise. I only retired last year. <laughs> And uh, it, it came at me pretty quick. I wasn't. I was. I was pretty surprised. Well, I'll tell you, from going to this event over the decades and seeing the growth of it and the size of it, now it's at the Dollar Loan Center. Uh, you and your family are going to be blown away by how big of a deal this is and how important the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame is. I want to talk about your life and career. You got started at BMX at the age of seven. Your mom your family, your dad. I want to talk about the early years of your life because a lot of kids get involved in T-ball, Little League, other sports. What drew you to BMX? So I played all of those sports as well. I played flag football, baseball, soccer, basketball. I did all the same stuff you know, everybody else does as a kid. But uh, when I was seven years old, my mom found a flyer that was advertising the local BMX track out by uh, Nellis Air Force Base. And she thought, oh, I think he might like this. He likes to ride his bike around the street all the time. So we went out and I tried it and I loved it. I played other sports until I was about 11 or 12 or so. And then at that point, I just decided that BMX was it for me. And it's what I loved. And that was when I started to take it a little bit more seriously. Did you embrace the speed, the danger of this, uh, the camaraderie, the competition? Because you're a young kid at this point in time, and there's a lot of speed involved, and not a lot of parents would say, hey, I want my son to get involved with this. It could be too dangerous. How did your mom and dad say this could be for you and see it so early? I think the biggest thing was I was always hyper-competitive, 
uh, even at a very young age. Like, I just wanted to win more than anything. And when I was playing team sports as a kid, I would get frustrated and even yell at my teammates because when you're 10 years old, some of the kids playing baseball are picking daisies in the outfield, you know, and they're not taking it super seriously, but I was always trying to win. And um, I just liked that it was an individual sport. So if I win or if I lose, it was on me and I didn't have to rely on anyone. I didn't have to lean on anyone. It was 100% up to me and, and my efforts. Connor Fields is our guest, Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. The event's coming up June 16th at the Dollar Loan Center. So when did you find success? How do you find success as a young kid? And then your parents are funding this. You have to travel. It's not only local, but you're going to get in competitions around the West and regionally. How'd that come about? Yeah, so when I started as a kid, I I started with some state-level competitions going up to Reno, Carson City. And then the next step from there was the regional stuff, Arizona, California. Um, and when I was a kid and I started, I just did it for fun because I loved it. There wasn't really any long-term plans. It wasn't until 2005 when I was 12 years old that the Olympic committee announced that BMX racing was going to be added into the Olympic games. And so as a kid, there wasn't really any long-term plan. I was just doing it for fun. And then, uh, when I was 15 years old, I, uh, I watched the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, China, and that was the first Olympics that BMX racing I was an event in. And when I watched that on TV, I had just decided, like, that's it. That's what I want to do. And at this time, I was already competing nationally. So my early teenage years, I was competing nationally, and I was ranked somewhere between 5 and 10 nationally most years. So I was mm-hmm. pretty good, but, but you know, not, like, supposed to be the next big thing or anything like that. And um, after I watched that Olympics, I started taking it really seriously and just working – every single day as hard as I could and um, started to find success around the age of 16, 17 years old. Now, it's amazing as you're fueled to the Olympics in 2012 in London before your gold medal in Rio. I saw some of the videos of you earlier in your life, and you're still a young guy. You're doing a lot of weightlifting, cross-training. I've got a lot of parents listening to you now as a Hall of Famer here in Southern Nevada. What was the preparation like with the other sports and the working out and the weight training and the cardio to get into this sport as you're becoming an Olympian? Yeah, so when I was young, when I was, real, when I was playing all the other sports, you know, that, when you're, I was a kid, I was just playing the games and, and having fun and doing the workouts that the coach would tell you to do. But like I said, when I was about 15 is when I really started to work. And the amount of work and commitment that it takes to just make it to the Olympics, I don't think people ha- have a grasp of how much it takes. No different than becoming an NFL player or becoming a major league baseball player. It's an every single day job for a decade to get to that level. <clears throat> and so it was every day, whether it was riding, whether it was uh, weightlifting, whether it was doing conditioning, whether it was stretching and taking care of my body, it was a, a full-time thing. I would go, I would go to the gym. This is when I was in high school. I would mm-hmm. go to the gym before school. I'd go to school. And then after school, I'd go straight to the track. I mean, it was a, a full-time commitment from the age of 15. Connor Fields is the first American man ever to win an Olympic gold medal in BMX racing. So for your gold medal and what you were able to pull off in Rio, I watched the race again today two or three times, and I was blown away at the speed, how quick you were out of the gate. Tell everybody the difference between gold, bronze, uh, gold, silver, and bronze, and how important that was for you, the speed of that race. Was that your greatest race all time up until that point? Obviously, you get a gold medal, but how perfect were you threading the needle in that race? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to, to say anything else would be the best race, right? Because that was the biggest race, the most on the line, the biggest stakes that mm-hmm. you can have. And to execute at that level um, is so much harder. Uh, you know, it's no different than than in getting your best game in the Super Bowl. I mean, it, it's exa- it's like what you dream of yes. as a kid. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for, for me, whenever I'm explaining BMX to somebody who's not familiar, the biggest thing you have to understand is it is so unpredictable. There is basically no rules. You, it's full contact. You're going 40 miles an hour. You're jumping jumps that are 50 feet long. You're banging bars with the other riders. You know, it's, it, there's a mechanical element as well with the bicycle. Things can go wrong. Things cannot be set up properly. And so for everything to line up perfectly on that day um, was an awesome, awesome feeling. And, and I would say, yeah, without a doubt, that would be the, the best, best race I've ever done. Connor Fields, as we wrap it up. So the accident you had in Tokyo in the semifinals, you were going for the repeat. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was hard to watch for me. I can't imagine what your parents were going through. I remember the local news coverage here in Vegas and your parents being here as you go through this horrific accident. I can't imagine what that must have been like as you were fighting at that time for your life. This is a big accident. Your parents are here. You have so many supporters locally. Looking back on that, how did it change your spirit, the relationship with your parents and family, and all the fans you have around the globe. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's it's an interesting one for sure, and and it was still less than two years from the accident, and I only got my full clearance of being 100% healthy uh, in May uh, of last year. So we're just coming up on about a year of me being even healthy. <clears throat> However, you know what I would say when I think about the accident and how it changed me was um, people like to say live every day like it's your last. And enjoy every moment as if it's your last. And until you actually almost have a last moment, it's kind of hard to do that fully. But for me, having been through that and woken up in a hospital bed a week later, you know, after being in a coma and not knowing where I am and what's going on and having to piece my life back together, um, what it's really changed is it just made me so much more thankful for every single day and all the little things, you know, that first sip sip of coffee in the morning or a nice meal or a beautiful day or, you know, whatever it is, I just really, truly enjoy every single day. And and I try to enjoy every day as if it's my last because you just truly never know. That is beautiful. I mean, there's so many people I hope connect to what you just said. The fact that you woke up in another country after a coma and you come out of this, and now you got to live the rest of your life. This accomplishment for this Hall of Fame, all the money you made, the gold medal, all your accomplishments is one thing, but it really seems like this is going to change your life in a positive way, all the pain and suffering that you went through and the ability to pay it forward. How do you plan on paying this forward to other athletes and non-athletes the rest of your life? Yeah, a couple different ways. So I I, I coach uh, now all the way from – you know, weekly classes for beginners here locally that are just learning the basics of the sport all the way up to I'm, I'm training three athletes that are trying to make it on the BMX Olympic team at the next Olympics in Paris. Um, so pa- paying for the lessons I've learned, the techniques I've learned, the things I've learned to the next generation. And then on top of that, I've, I started doing some keynote uh, speaking and some motivational speaking for, for companies and businesses um, just to share kind of what I just talked about it. And not just that, but some of the things that I learned throughout my career 
and, and all my experiences, the good, the bad, the depression, the broken bones, the winning, winning the Olympics and, and everything in between. You're a special guy. You know, a lot of people are going to be blown away that evening. I have the honor of emceeing it. And when they put the video up, I looked at a lot of your videos today, and to see the level of competition, the success you had, the way you're coming still through the accident and what you're going to do the rest of your life, it's an honor. It'll be an honor to get to meet you and be there with you that night. And who are you bringing out, man? I know you're going to have the family there, but you should be calling friends from all over. You are going to come out on that stage and look out there, and I know you're going to prepare your, your speech that night, but it's going to be special when you look back on this the rest of your life. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. You know, I've, I've been so lucky. I've traveled all over the world. I've raced against people from all over the world. I've got training partners and friends that I've worked with throughout my career, you know, scattered everywhere. And um, I've got a handful of people that are really special to me coming. I've got my, my agent who's been with me for 12 years coming. My team manager who's been my team manager for the past 12 years coming. Some, tra- uh, some training partners, some childhood friends who have kind of been there since day number one so I'm, I'm excited about it i'm looking forward to it and uh it's gonna be a very special evening thanks for your time really special you connected with a lot of people and you're going to connect with even more that night thanks for doing this connor congratulations again yeah no worries thank you and uh let's go raiders man i'm, I'm tired of getting my heart broken last year whoa so wait need, a second oh, whoa 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 so raider nation you ready to go you're raider fan Oh, yeah, I've got season tickets, man. I'm a, I'm a fan. Well, you're going to come on the pregame show with me from the Torch. We're going to do more. We're going to get you out to the black hole for the tailgate, get you some black hole gear, and get you out Let's to some special it. events. I look forward to it. I can't wait to see you that night, if not before, okay? Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. You got it. Connor Fields. Wow. Wow. Magnum, I mean, you're sitting there. I can tell your reaction there, too, because of your relationship with Japan and your background and to know and you watch the accident. I didn't want to spend a lot of time on the accident, but he talked about it, and I watched the video a few times today. Really hard to look at, and he's coming out of it. It seems like he's in a great spot physically and mentally. Yeah, it was, it was scary watching it and hearing him. I didn't realize how much worse it actually was oh. than it looked. I mean, I know we had some local television people who were there and they were covering it but like you don't really get that feel from a tweet just how bad the accident actually is yeah. and, and and listening to him it took him almost a full year to fully recover and and be cleared healthy wise i mean that's absolutely r- r- insane this guy's an animal in his sport i mean i don't know a lot about bmx but just to take off the first 100 yards is insanity. Bikes are right on top of you, and they're trying to cut in front of you. And he dominates, wins an Olympic gold medal, was going to repeat, and then he comes out of the accident. I I just remember the local coverage when he got hurt, and I remember my wife and I looking at it because I had a lot of friends in the bar business that showed up at his watch party. His parents had a watch party because they weren't there in Tokyo and everything that was happening around that time. And I can't imagine what his mom and dad went through sitting at that watch party having to get up and going, what just happened? And then I didn't know also, it didn't say here in the bio that it was seven days before he woke up. Yeah, I, I and you, huh. you, you're right. As a parent, you have to feel because of COVID, Japan was so restricted on who they were allowing into the country that his mom and dad couldn't even be there. Yeah. So so 
being so far away, I really feel for his mom and dad, but glad everything worked out. He seems like a great kid. Well, I got the word the other day that I'm going to be emceeing this event. It's an honor because I've been going to this event for years since I've been here. And some of the classes that I've seen, Michael Pritchard, uh, Dana White, all that Floyd Mayweather getting in, Greg Maddox. Uh, There's just too many names. So we get the exclusive to interview uh, the people who are getting into this Hall of Fame first. And that was the first one with Connor Fields. And I want to recommend that if you haven't been to this event, it was always big, but now it's moved to the Dollar Loan Center. And it's going to be a monster here. And you can get tickets. It's June 16th at the Dollar Loan Center. I'll be telling you how to get tickets, how to go with the group, and just have a good time. A lot of good people at that event. One of the best events I've been a part of. We'll wrap it up. That was good. That's a good 40 minutes of radio talking to a police officer about the game coming up Saturday between the police officers and the firefighters and Connor Fields as we'll wrap it up on the other side. Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, brought to you by the Botanist Gin, the number one fastest growing brand. Step up your cocktail game with the Botanist Gin. Thanks again to Connor Fields, who was kind enough to join us. He's a Raider fan. Got a couple of reactions on that on Twitter at JT the Brick as we welcome it back. Uh, thanks to Magnum sitting in for Bobby today and our guest as we roll into what is going to be an interesting time of year here. We have Golden Night Hockey, which means we don't play till Saturday night. Saturday night. What is the city going to do? Thursday, Friday. The rest of the hockey world is ascending on Las Vegas for what should be game two here. I, I think, Magnum, maybe I'm going a little bit too far here. If they lose game one with the 3-1 lead, with Dreisaitl getting four goals, could have had five, you got four. I don't want to say they would have lost the series. They would have lost home ice. And then if they didn't split, and then they'd have to worry about winning Saturday to go down 0-2. And if they went down 0-2, zero chance they win four out of five having to win three of them on the road. Yeah, really, really tough spot for them to be in. So that's why game one was super, super important. And what else is important is home ice. That's what I love about this. Everything that we were talking about all year on this broadcast with the assistance of the Golden Knights was to win and get that home ice. So in case you play game seven against Edmonton, you're able to play it at home. That would be huge. And hopefully they don't have to come back for a game seven. Yeah, that's the hope, right? Let's hope it's it's over in four. Thanks for doing this today. Appreciate you. Thanks to all of our guests here. I might go have myself a Modelo today. It feels like the end of the week, but no, tomorrow's even bigger. We're live from Palms, right from the Palms Sportsbook from noon to two, courtesy of Remy Martin. Come on out if you can. Have a Remy Martin Quantro Margarita. A Quantro Margarita is fantastic. And we're going to have a couple of guests live there from Remy and some other friends coming out. Please support it tomorrow. Our partners are the reason why we have a flagship station and we have this radio show. So tomorrow, noon to 2 from the Sportsbook at the Palms. Q's on deck. Have a great day, everyone.